Welcome to the Carecast. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to this latest Carecast. And uh, today I'm joined by our Chief Executive of Care, Nola Leach. Nola, welcome to the Carecast. Thanks, James. And how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. All the better because the sun's shining. Does make a difference, doesn't it? When you see doesn't just it? a little bit of sun. Uh, yeah. Although it's kind of a classic March, April tease, isn't it? Of incredibly hot all of a sudden. And we just know what's going to happen next. It's going to yeah. be freezing, just as we've put all our winter clothes away. Or at least that's usually my experience around this time of year. Yes, but yeah. Sadly so. Anyway, we're going to be talking uh, about end-of-life matters. We've been doing this series of podcasts and we've heard from Dr Gillian Wright uh, from the coalition group Care Not Killing and we've heard from the author Dr Catherine Mannix in the last two podcasts talking about uh, with the end in mind and planning for a good death and the involvement of family in the dying process as well. And to uh, to, to bring this series to an end, Nola, we're speaking to you about your experience campaigning on assisted suicide and euthanasia, but also touching on your own personal uh, experience as well and thinking about Tony um, and and his story. And so I wondered if I could just start by asking you, um, when when did you personally uh, start taking the issue of assisted suicide seriously? Mm. It's an interesting question, actually. Um, I think I have always felt that our times are in God's hands. And no matter what, if I can say, life deals deals us, actually, he promises good for us. It won't always be easy, but he, but he promises good, doesn't he? Um, and so I think that underlying belief was always there. But I remember particularly being very very, uh, when I started campaigning on this with care, being struck by a news article that I read. And it was an article um, in 2015, and Hugh Bradbury, the the, um, the ITV um, journalist um, and presenter, um, it was a story that said he was, he was left shaking with rage and emotion because he tried to save a drowning man who was trying to commit suicide, and he failed to do so. And it was a very powerful story. And I thought the juxtaposition of that, you know, this instinctively, we want to save life if someone's trying to kill life. And then you look at an attempt in 20, which can change the law to allow somebody to kill somebody else. Just seemed completely incongruous to me. That kind of contradiction that you've just spoken about, I guess we, we see it in the way that as a society, we want to prevent suicide from happening. And we take that very seriously. And and there's something heartbreaking and, and peculiarly tragic about a suicide, isn't there? Why, why, why do you think that is? Why, why is someone taking their own life so particularly tragic? I think we have that, that innate... Um, fighting for life don't we i mean whether whether we espouse the belief that that our times are in god's hands and and he is in control or not there's an instinctive that we want to save life you know if someone is in a difficult situation you know they will fight to survive and i think it's just something that's innate within us actually Mm. and as you look back over the last you know, mm. 10 years, let's say, uh, or, or longer even, campaigning on this issue. Um, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've had to learn and have learned? Mm. There are lots of lessons. I mean, I think I think the 
the myths that have grown up around what we're talking about. So the myth that it's 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 much kinder for somebody to kill somebody. Um, the myth that um, we need it and we want it and actually we can control it when all the evidence shows that we can't control it. Um, that's been something that stuck with me very strongly. And I think also... Um, a spiritual blindness, if I can put it like that. I mean, we talked, didn't we, about the, the sort of the, you know, the, the paradox of, of feeling this raw emotion when we see somebody trying to kill themselves and then bringing in laws that enable somebody um, to kill themselves. And, and I think that sort of, um, it's not logical, but there's a spiritual blindness there, actually, I think, that makes Christians and and evangelical Christians as well, feel that actually we do need this because it's mm -hmm. the kind of thing to do. So I think they're the things that have struck me. And, and I suppose I would say, you know, that the fact that reasoned people make value judgments about which life is valuable. You know, are we saying that somebody with a disability can't have a rich life? It might not be an easy life, they can have a rich life. And, and I just think, you know, judgments about which life is valuable and which isn't. And when capacity is gone, well, they're not that person anymore. And you get really, um, in other fields, very thought, thoughtful people espousing that view. And, and that, that actually has shocked me quite a bit, I think. Mm. I sometimes wonder if when it comes to this particular topic of assisted suicide and, and giving doctors the legal power to help a patient to kill themselves, often it's it's sort of the argument is, well, we, we do that with a dog, for example. You know, if a dog is is suffering, then we, we put the dog down. So why, why wouldn't we offer that for human beings who are in various circumstances? And I just kind of think, you know, it, it's such a, a an awful argument because it, it equates a dog suffering with human suffering. And of course, you know, you don't have to be Christian to understand there's a fundamental difference between a dog and a human being. Or or, or am I just am I just, you know, <laughs> victim of my Christian upbringing? And of course, you have to as well say that we're, we're talking about actually intentionally killing somebody. And that's something which fundamentally goes against the grain. Be part of CARE's growing online community. Join our Facebook page for fresh content, devotions and updates on our causes. Don't forget to join our regional groups to be closer to the matters that affect your part of the UK. Find us on Facebook at CARE.org UK. The other, the other thing that that we've certainly spoken about before is is the idea that we're we're not we're not talking here about some minor change to medical procedure. We're talking about a a radical departure from centuries of tradition in healthcare, aren't we? Like this is a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. and and the duty of the law is to protect. And if you look at what's happening around the world now, where the law has been changed on this issue. They say, oh, we can put the safeguards in. But the evidence is that you can't put the safeguards in. You only have to, I mean, Oregon is a place where that's quoted again and again, you know, we must. But, but actually, the safeguards unravel there. Canada, 
which is more like us, I suppose, in lots of ways. Just in, in sort of, what, five years since they introduced the law, it's unravelling. It's not just for the most desperate situations. You know, it's people with with, with mental health, with, with dementia, with disability. It's unravelling. And that slippery slope argument, which is dismissed, actually is very, very relevant. Mm. And you, you mentioned earlier that, that you think there's a kind of a blind spot for Christians. Um, why why do we have that blind spot? Why, why is that there? Yeah. I think I think actually, James, at one level it is understandable. I mean, I, I suppose I know you and I would, would absolutely agree on this, but when we're talking about this this area, it is an incredibly sensitive area. And it is very, very easy to make, isn't it, to make trite comments about, well, you know, God cares for us and it's all going to be all right. And, you know, I mean, life is tough and it's not like that. Um, and I think for Christians who want to show love and care, it seems logical to say, well, if someone is really suffering, someone is in excruciating pain, or it's, it's you know, it is kinder. We're showing them love. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the other side of that is that there is a lot of evidence that says the kindest thing, actually, is to help them in those circumstances to live until their natural end. And, and we often find that there are cases where if you remove the immediate problem and you cry and, and, and alleviate that, then someone does not want to die. Mm. If someone's in extreme pain, you can understand. I mean, we've all been in situations probably where, where we say, oh, I really feel awful and at the extreme end, um, you know, oh, I wish I didn't have to go through this. But actually, if, if some of those things are removed, life is very different. And there is no reason now, why, for example, why someone has to die in extreme pain. Now, I would add the corollary that, that it is a bit of a lottery around the United Kingdom, and we know there are people who have horrible deaths. But we ought to be working to make sure, not fighting to change the law, but actually to make sure they have the care they need so they don't want to go down that route. Mm. And I know that when you look at some of the evidence from places where assisted suicide has been legalised, that the provision of palliative care suffers uh, as a result because it's a it's a cultural shift where, you know, right now in the UK, all our eggs are in that basket of trying to provide the best quality end-of-life care. That's our culture, that's our pedigree, our background, our experience. And yet in other places, you know, that's not the case because they've they've abandoned that and instead they've opened Pandora's box. Absolutely. I, I, I always remember a story that, that uh, a, a lovely Christian peer told me, um, which really shocked me. And he, he said he was talking with a, a medical colleague of his in the Netherlands, where, of course, the law was changed some time ago. And he took this guy, was a doctor, and he was talking to him and saying, you know, how was it, you know, that you actually, that first time when you, you killed somebody, putting it bluntly, and this guy said, well, it was awful. I mean, I agonised over it. It was terrible. But then he said, and this is what's so chilling, mm-hmm. the second time it was a bit easier. And the third time, well, it was just a piece of cake. Mm. And it's that normalisation, isn't it? Of, isn't it? Yeah. 
assisted yeah. suicide and, and euthanasia. Yeah. Um, just picking up on your own more recent experience, uh, if, yeah. if I can, and you've you've shared um, with us at CARE a bit of filming that we did uh, called Tony's Story about what it was like uh, to care for Tony and, and, and be with him in his, in his final moments. And you've also spoken about it on uh, BBC Radio 4's Today Show as well in one of the most uh, extraordinary uh, mornings that I've certainly had. It was extraordinary, with, yes. With, um, yeah. Just by way of backgrounds, you were married to Tony for nearly 50 years. Yes. And he passed away in 2017. 2017, yeah. What... What was your experience of caring for Tony like and and how has it shaped your ongoing thinking about this? Because I, I would just quickly say, you know, if I can, that sometimes people think, oh, Christians just never struggle or doubt mm. or question. And so, you know, we've made our minds up, that's it, we're robots. We just, we do as we're told. And actually, I think it's so helpful for people just to hear that, that it can be a wrestle. Um, mm even if yeah, we don't yeah. change our minds. So what was it like with, with Tony? Oh, James, it was it was an, a mixture of all sorts of experiences and emotions. Um, there were times when it was very, very hard. It was very hard um, seeing somebody who I, I loved um, and seeing someone who had always had a... Um, a very active brain, who was a great communicator. He was a teacher. He invested all his life in, in, in young people. Uh, he loved preaching. Um, he was a real family man, lot of fun. Um, and to see he had dementia, he was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's in 2015. And to see those things which seemed the essential part of Tony go was incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. And there were moments when it was, it, yeah, it was brutal, actually. And there were moments when, because of his illness, he perhaps behaved in a way which was was unkind. I mean, I, I can remember um, he was in hospital for 12 weeks before he died. And, and I can remember there were moments when I just had to go out of the room and go to the loo, if I can put it like that, and, and just cry because it's so hard. I then come back into the room. It was completely different mm -hmm. because it, it wasn't. Even, so there were those moments when it was incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. But I would say, conversely, it was probably looking back on it, and this sounds really strange, but some of the most precious times that we had together in those 49 years, I wouldn't have wished it, but they were the most precious. And, you know, times when, you know, he would just out of the blue suddenly turn to me and say, I love you very much, or times when our family was able to be with him. And right when he was diagnosed, actually, we, we decided he was always a very positive man, but this was just another adventure we were going on. And there were elements of an adventure in it, which sounds extremely strange. So, yeah, it was a real mixture of emotions. But one thing I would take from it as well is that it deepened our love for each other and 
it was such a privilege. It was an outworking of my love to care for him and to be there. And for 12 weeks, I was there from 7 o'clock in the morning until 7 o'clock at night, just with him. In the final four days, I slept there with him. But it was such a privilege because it's an outworking of love. But I wouldn't want to give the impression that it was never a struggle because mm. it was a struggle. But God was very good and blessed us in ways that were amazing. 2021 brings with it fresh elections of the Scottish Parliament and Welsh Parliament. What pledges are the political parties making? Do you know who your candidates are? Put your questions to them and take a look at our analysis of it. Find out more now on our website, elections2021.care.org.uk. Having gone through that experience, when you think about those advocating for law change, does it does it make you more understanding of, of that impulse? Yes, it does make me more understanding. I, I can understand why why there are moments when people want to go down that route. Um, but it also, conversely, makes me more and more determined that this is not the route to go down. And why is because, that? Well, because if we'd done that, there was one moment, as you know, there was one moment, and it was such a fleeting moment, when Tony turned to me and said, I can't do this anymore. And that's an absolute obvious moment, isn't it? You can understand that. But it was over in minutes, seconds even, never said it again. Now, if the law had been changed and we were in a different situation, I think there would be pressure to go down the route of, of, of ending his life as the kindest thing to do. And that destroys doctor-patient trust. It, it, he would have missed out, and we as a family would have missed out on some of the most precious moments. So, you know, I mean, I, even now I can think of, you know, the family, we have two grown-up sons, three grandchildren. I can remember them being there with him and he knew, until almost the end, he knew they were there. Um, and, you know, at that stage I had a, a very small granddaughter. I can remember her just colouring on the floor very naturally and then just coming over to Tony and say, Grandpa, I love you, you know. And my... Um, 17-year-old as she was then, singing to him, and he just loved her singing. Um, and there were very precious moments that we wouldn't have had. And he, he we were, you know, fortunately, he, he died very peacefully in the end. But, but um, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for for being willing to share um, some, of, some of your own personal story. And um, I wonder if I could just, just briefly go back mm. to 2015, um, September 2015, to be precise, that was the last time there was an actual vote at Westminster on uh, what was called the Assisted Dying Bill Number no. 2. It was brought forward by Labour MP uh, Rob Maris. What do you remember about that vote? Oh, I remember so much, actually, on that day. I mean, we th there was a great... Um, I don't know what the word is, the adrenaline got going. I mean, all of us in care and working with other, organi other organisations as well, I'd say. But the, 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 we're throwing everything we can at this to make sure 
it doesn't happen. And almost to the extent of sort of counting votes in and getting people into Parliament to vote and all that sort of thing, which has an energy about it. And so there was that element of it. But I think as well, the memories are some of those really incredible speeches from very courageous members of Parliament. Um, I can think of one consultant oncologist talking about her experience and that we must never go down that route, um, which was so powerful. And then the MP who got up and said, I wasn't going to deliver this speech. I was going to give a, a speech in favour of a change in the law and listening to the speeches of my colleagues, I'm now going to vote against it. And then the amazing, we didn't really know how it was going to go. Mm. And then actually, you know, a significant victory which was which was extraordinary, and we thank God for it. It was an, it was an amazing, um, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an amazing was. day, amazing yeah. outcome. Um, how realistic is the prospect of another vote taking place at Westminster? What's the lay of the land? Yeah, I mean, we don't know exactly when, but I, I have no doubt that that there will be at some point in the not too distant future legislation to introduce a change in the law. Um, it's possible that after the, the Queen's speech um, in June that there might actually be um, a bill that comes forward, that someone puts forward. We had thought that some of the legislation that's going through now might have an, um, might be added to um, to introduce it. That hasn't happened yet. Um, there's a bill coming up about the NHS. It could come in there. So it could come very soon. It could come a little bit later, but I have no doubt we know that there are those who are pushing for a change in the law and, and that will come. Yeah. Not that hopefully the change won't come, but pushing for it will come. Yeah, the, the attempt um, yes. to try and change yes. it. And just finally, you know, people listening may may feel exercised about this particular cause and may want to play their part in pushing mm. back against any attempt to change the law. So what, what practical things can people actually do uh, if they want to, to join the, the campaign against this? Yeah, absolutely. There are all sorts of things, actually. I think sometimes we can feel we're a bit helpless and it's such a sensitive issue anyway, you know, don't know how to get involved. I think underlying all of it, they can pray. Um, and that is fundamental. Um, I think there are... There are resources that we have on our website and others that we'll be producing that will um, counteract some of those myths, debunk those myths. So you've got good arguments that are easy to put forward and that can help in writing to, to their member of parliament, finding out where they stand. If they've got the courage, if people have the courage to go and see their member of parliament and to talk about, um, you know, some of the reasons why they're so concerned about a change in the law. If people have their own stories, to email their stories to us, because there is no doubt, you asked about my memories of the previous campaign, there is no doubt that MPs are swayed by the stories of people. And you can have all the all the arguments at your fingertips. But when someone is sitting in front of you and explaining what happened to them, that is very, very powerful. And I would say all those things in in against a background of doing it very, very sensitively, 
but recognising that this is such a difficult issue for people and people are struggling. But to, to, to put the other side of the story, because we've got a better story, and, of course, to push for better care, better end-of-life care. Want to see more on CARE's work? Join us on YouTube for our live stream devotions, parliamentary updates and in-depth discussions on our causes. Remember to subscribe for the latest video content direct to your devices. Get more from CARE. Just search CARE.org UK. Just to, to add to that as well, we, we um, host on our website a whole range of resources to help inform you uh, on this cause, on the latest developments, key arguments. Just go to care.org.uk forward slash cause forward slash assisted suicide and you'll be able to find everything you need right there. And we also have 10 Ways to Pray about the end of life as well, a dedicated prayer resource uh, on this particular topic. And alongside this podcast, we've just released three other podcasts with Dr. Gillian Wright and Dr. Catherine Mannix and Matt James. Again, just looking at different aspects of this particular uh, debate. And we've also got a live Q&A, which uh, Nola, you joined and another joined as well. So there's plenty of content there on, on the CARE website just to kind of help you um, grapple with this and think through it. Um, Nola, just so grateful for your time uh, on this podcast. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and reflections on your experiences uh, on this particular cause. It's a privilege to do. It's great to chat to you, James. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, uh, this is the end of this current season of the CareCast. Uh, we'll be back very, very soon with more to come. But thank you so much to all of you for listening and those of you who've watched along as well. You've been listening to the CareCast. Remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes and find out more about the work of care on care.org.uk. Care for what you believe.